Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. surprised to see that we're still decked out for Christmas. After going into CVS this week, I discovered that apparently we're already getting ready for St. Valentine's Day. However, in the church, we take a moment to pause between the arrival of Christ on Christmas and the arrival of the wise men on Epiphany and there is an interlude Sunday which is today. You'll also notice that there's a rather unorthodox figure in here because there is no Simeon in the nativity. Perhaps we should rectify that. However, Claudius, our little elf that helps the children during at elf, he's not an elf, he's a shepherd. Excuse me. Our shepherd he is holding Jesus. So as some of the children early this morning pointed out, he's supposed to be in the manger. Oh, he was supposed to be in the manger. Now he's being held by our Simeon stand-in because Simeon embraces Jesus when he arrives at the temple. And our text is reminding us that there are things that need to be accomplished to continue the blessing of the arrival of the Christ child. And that is that it was appropriate in Judaism at the time that on the eighth day, the child should be taken and not only blessed, but should be circumcised. And so as the good observant Jews that Joseph and Mary were, they did all that was in the law. They went to the temple, the highest, holiest house of worship in all of Israel. And there they prepared to receive the blessing upon Jesus. And our text is very clear to continue the narrative that we had heard. They didn't choose a name for Jesus. The name was given to them by the angel on behalf of God the Father. And they came and they honored that naming. And so officially on the eighth day, the child became Jesus. And there he had received the outward and visible sign of the covenant. He was inaugurated into the covenant that began and had continued forth from Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. When God's people came out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, they were brought by Moses to Mount Sinai. And there the power and the presence of God descended as a cloud and thunder and lightning upon the mountain and made covenant with the people of Israel, an eternal covenant. And under this, they were given 613 commandments, all laws and ordinances through which they should keep so that they might stay in right relationship not only with God, but with one another. And if they were to follow those, then they would continue to be righteous people in God's eyes. And we know because the scriptures tell us in multiple places that Jesus was without sin, which would mean that for the first time and definitely the last time in all history, Jesus kept all 613 commandments. It's a lot of commandments. And he did it. Of course, I think it might be slightly easier if you were the one who wrote the commandments. And so Jesus, being God incarnate, has that power and that authority. 
but he grew up a good observant Jew raised by two good observant Jews. And part of that was to receive this outward sign. Circumcision was to permanently remove the foreskin so that your body would bear the mark. You couldn't undo the covenant. It's not something that could be outwardly denied. It was staking claim not only to your desire to be God's person, but that God was willing to accept you as God's person. And so Jesus was now entered into this tradition, this genealogy, this lineage of faith, and the promise that if they would keep the covenant, that God would be their God. And Jesus is now part of this, 100% human, 100% divine. Jesus was able to overcome not only what it meant to enter into high, holy order of keeping all of these commandments, but also to bring to it the divinity to overcome human sinfulness. And this is where the story begins. The story begins with them entering into what they thought would be fairly regular. But if we read slightly deeper in the text, we find out that the text is continuing to tell us some surprising revelations. And these aren't part of our Advent reading, so many of us may not even be really familiar with this story. But as they bring in Jesus, it says that they had to redeem him. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, tell us that the firstborn male child or male offspring of an animal was considered to be the Lord's. It was holy, and that if you wanted to keep the child or the animal, they must be redeemed. They must be bought back. And so they traveled to make that redemptive move. It's done through an offering of sacrifice. Our text tells us that they did what they should do, and they offered two turtle doves, invoking a song that you may be sick of at this point, and that that was what they did. What the text negates to tell you is that that was a lesser offering. That Leviticus tells us that the ideal offering to redeem the firstborn, the holyborn of the womb, the first fruits of the womb, was to be a lamb. But it says that if you cannot afford a lamb, which was an extravagant offering, that you could bring two turtle doves. The text is reminding us that they were poor. They didn't just bring Jesus forth into poverty, but he would live in poverty. Jesus didn't grow up as a person of means. He would have to struggle for economic prosperity. And the text is reminding us that he didn't come to the temple that first time swathed in gold and richly proclaimed but that with great humility his parents brought them, still intentional to make the required offering. But it's something that we as Christians continue to struggle with. It's the difference between somebody who sits down and intentionally and prayerfully discerns what their gift should be over the course of the year versus somebody who, whenever they happen to be here, throws a $20 bill into the plate. They're both appropriate on one level, but one is showing us a deeper level of commitment and the availability with which to do so financially. They did the best with what they had. And so they came to the temple and they prepared. They were not prepared for Simeon, but God was. Simeon had received the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is a prophetic utterance from the Old Testament. And with this power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he had been told that he would not die until he laid eyes on the Messiah, that God would send this 
person, this Savior, and that he would be blessed to see him with his own eyes. Countless generations had died waiting for that day. And the words that he was looking for, the consolation of Israel, he's looking for God to comfort God's people who mourn. And if we divide up the book of Psalms, we find out that of the 150 Psalms in the book, half of them are for thanksgiving and half of them are for lamentation. And so the people have been mourning and yearning for God to send them someone to help them out. Because after the covenant at Mount Sinai, things got messy. Life got sticky. The people didn't always or sometimes ever keep the commandments. Outside influences and nations and powers came in and subjugated them, scattered them in the north, brought them into exile from the south. They had finally returned home once more after the Babylonian exile, and yet again an outside force. This time the Roman Empire asserts control and power over them, subjugating them, humiliating them, stripping them of their dignity and their worth that God had endowed in all of us from the moment of our conception. And they yearned for once to be free again. And this is what Simeon was waiting for. Show me the promise. Let me see the hope with my own eyes to know that all of the Old Testament, all of the prophecies are true. May I see. And God privileges him with this glimpse of greatness. And he takes the child in his arms and he once more gives the prophetic utterance to let both Joseph, who is now legally the adoptive father of Jesus, and Mary, his birth mother, know that this is the one who will bring the salvation, that he was prepared in the presence of all people, all the world, that Jesus was a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and that the glory of Israel will also be revealed. And they were amazed at this. This child, the one born in the stable, this is the one you're talking about? I mean, it's one thing when an angel tells you something, but it's another to have somebody else utter it to you. And so they begin to process that this may truly be everything that they had read, everything that they had been told growing up as good Jews. This could truly be the Messiah. And what does that mean for us? We benefit from knowing not only the Old Testament, but the New. We benefit from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and being raised in a culture that's rather friendly in many ways to Christianity. But we also come to the point in our calendar secularly where there is a holiday that gives us an opportunity as Christians to pause and reflect like Simeon. We are coming up on the last few days of 2018, and as the world gets to enter into 2019, it's not a liturgical holiday. It's not something that the church celebrates. Our New Year's happened on the first Sunday of Advent. But it does mean that we live in a world where we can pause and we can reflect back. And the world has already forgotten to do that. They're already telling you to look forward, right? What is your resolution? Well, how will I know what my resolution is if I, unless I look back? with an invitation for us here in God's presence to reflect gratitude, to look back into the last year and see where we are thankful. For we are not God's people if we are not thankful people. If we rebel against God by refusing to let gratitude be part of who we are and how we live, 
then we have not learned the lesson that Simeon teaches us to be grateful for even just a glimpse of holiness, to encounter what it is to be blessed by God, not only as God, but through others. It's an opportunity for us to look back and say, I have truly been blessed by you, God. Last month, really last month, November, I had the opportunity to be confronted with the fact that sometimes we take gratitude for granted. That we are really thankful for things, but we don't let people know. And so they wonder, does it matter? Does what I do impact somebody positively? Or am I just window dressing? And I had to confront that while I was deeply grateful for what several people were doing, I had not adequately conveyed that. And so they were left with this ambiguous state of, Maybe it doesn't matter, or maybe she doesn't appreciate what we do. Maybe we're even doing it wrong. And to allow that to be is unintentional sin on my part. It is important that we take a moment and through gratitude, give thanks for what others do. And in the church, sometimes that's us taking a moment to say, I'm really thankful for the people that bother to come out and snow and, and shovel and salt so that we don't have to do that. Or to be thankful for the people who are willing to lead our worship service so that the worship service can ascend to a higher level of liturgical perfection, so that there is someone to lead us, so that there are those who give of their time and their talents and their gifts and their graces so that we can have high-quality music, so that we are able to enjoy the benefits of coming to worship without having to work extra hard to have them to enjoy the people that are willing to stand out in that cold narthex for us and greet and have a ministry of hospitality. I often think of people like J.R. Sanders, who God love him, if he's in town, he is here. And he is working for Jesus Christ. He's working so hard that half the time people think he's the pastor. <laughs> There's some other mitigating factors in there. But there are people in this church who, because of what they do here for us, they allow those of us who don't want to do those things or can't do those things not to be burdened by them. Very few pieces of my footwear collection are adequate for snow removal. Very few. And I am thankful that there are people who are willing to do that so that when I come here on Sunday morning, I can truly be singularly devoted to preparing myself for worship. I don't have to worry about those things going on out there. And I also don't have to worry about you coming because there are people who are committed to the safety and the hospitality of our Sunday morning worship. And that is a blessing to me. It's a blessing to others too. There are people in our church who choose to do things that I probably could do, but that I'm not going to do because I'm me. Steve Vile, our chair of trustees, loves this church enough that on Sunday mornings he comes here and he unlocks the doors and he turns on the lights and he gets it ready so the staff don't have to worry about what we're going to encounter here. And then when he's got a little time to kill, he will come and Windex the windows. Now I do have footwear that will let me do that but I'm not going to win next to the windows. But I don't have to because Steve is that committed 
He's committed to having the church reflect the glory of God. He's committed to having the church be a place where people feel welcomed and hospitable, that it shows that the care that we give to the building is only a taste of the care that we want to give to people. And I don't have to be concerned on Sunday morning because of Steve. That's a gift to me. That's a gift to us. And those are things that we need to be thinking about before we look forward. We can't move forward if we don't look back and say, thank you, God, for what we have had. Thank you for these things. How might we move forward into a new and profound way if we don't know what we did before? And those who modeled for us what it is to be a vessel of God's blessing. The church has a duty to do this to reflect on what is good, to give thanks, to edify and encourage people who do good things that we are blessed through. And I want to challenge all of us, myself included, to spend the next few days of the remaining year specifically praying to God in gratitude for specific people, that we will name them for God, Oftentimes, prayer gets convoluted into, well, prayer is a lifeline. So the only people I pray for are the ones that have told me, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to have surgery and I need prayer. Or this one, God, you need to fix that person. I'm going to lift you up in prayer because I know God needs to work in you. There's better prayer. There's a prayer that says, God, I am so thankful for Steve and for JR and the way in which they liberate me to do my job better. God, I am so thankful for that woman at Harris Teeter who always tolerates the bizarre questions my child asks at the bakery, right? I am grateful, Lord, for the same baker who makes sure no matter what time of day it is that I'm in there, and I'm in there at weird times, that if my son is there, that he gets that free cookie that he's entitled to. Right? These are people that just need to be thanked because of her intentionality, because of the people that make my life better. These are people that we should be thanking because sometimes we just take it for granted. Is that her job? Sure, it's her job. But the fact that at 11 o'clock at night she was willing to walk back into the bakery and get my kid a cookie, that is not in her job description. Those are the kinds of things where Christians need to be cognizant and pay attention and say thank you. Whether it's our favorite barista at our local coffee shop, whether it's the guy that always makes sure that we can get our car fixed and out and back on the road so that we don't skip a beat. Whatever it is, these people in our lives that truly do make it worth being here, that's what the gratitude is about. And Simeon took one look at Jesus and was overwhelmed with gratitude. And if I can paraphrase his words, he said, now I can die happy. You've blessed me. I have seen it. I have been blessed by this couple and their eight-day-old baby. And I have seen God's glory in and through them. And now I can die happy. So as Christians, our job at this moment in time knowing that Christ came and not that just Christ came for all the world but that Christ came specifically for us specifically for you and I that we would know every day of our lives that we are loved that we have the dignity that God has imparted into us that we were created in the image of God Almighty and redeemed by God the Son and that we shall be sustained by the Holy Spirit that is what Christmas reminds us of. And that evokes gratitude. But not just simple gratitude, profound and transformative gratitude that makes us look at another person and say, 
I gave thanks to God for you today. I may not even know your name, but I gave thanks to you because every time I come in here, this is what you do for me, and I appreciate that. It makes my day better. It makes my life better. And the person may be going, for what? But the fact that at the end of their day, the Holy Spirit will have an opportunity to say, do you see that you make a difference? That God sees you? That others see you and appreciate you? Is that not the gospel in reality? That we are seen and loved and known. And so Jesus bids us at this point in the narrative of his life story to take a moment and reflect with gratitude. Because otherwise, we will have moved on so quickly, we will have forgotten to say thank you, not only to God, but to those who embody God in us. That yes, you truly can see worth and value and dignity in someone who changes tires for a living. I would hope that you do. That you can see worth and value and dignity in somebody who is pouring coffee for you. Which, by the way, is transformed Methodist holy water. Give thanks to those people. Whatever it is in your life where you encounter somebody who may have a thankless job, who does things that just seem to flow so natural, it's appropriate for us to say thanks. Because the world does not. The world wants more and more and feeds off of people who are willing to put themselves out there and never says thank you. But that is not the God we serve. Our God continually encourages us and equips us to say thank you because God is grateful for our relationship. And that is important, that God is thankful for us and our relationship. And the church will only reflect that glory if we are thankful for our relationship with others. So may we be intentional about this and how appropriate it is that this is a day of intentional prayer and blessing in the life of this congregation, that we have the opportunity to live out gratitude and prepare ourselves to go forth as vessels of that same gratitude and not just make somebody's day, but remind them that their life makes a difference. That is Jesus Christ in us and through us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.